Hello and welcome back to Lisa Express Podcast. My name is Lisa Chuma and I am your host. Yes, we're on this sex trauma series and we want to go from understanding what sex trauma is to how we can recover when we've experienced trauma that affects our sex life. However, way too many of us have become comfortable with some forms of sex trauma. As a matter of fact, we don't even pay attention to them. The first week we spoke on body shaming and rape. A lot of people saw that flyer and their first response was, how is body shaming part of sex trauma? Well, when you do get body shamed long enough, you begin to believe it. Some of the people who suffer body dysmorphia did not just have body dysmorphia as a birth thing. They were not born hating their body. Many of them were victims of body shaming that became consistent, that they did not know any other definition for their body except for the fact that their body just did not fit. Let's leave body dysmorphia. Let's come into how people see themselves sexually. When people feel like they are unworthy of good sexual experiences, unworthy of people, and they begin to settle for relationships that are sexually degenerate, relationships that abuse them, relationships that put no respect on their person as a result of the body shaming. If you haven't listened to that episode, I am begging you, please go back and listen to Body Shaming and Rape. And in that same episode, I began to talk about rape as rape, not just something that happens to women. Rape is not just when sperm enters the vagina. Rape is every time your body is penetrated without your consent, however that penetration happens. Now, legally, rape also includes coercion and manipulation, but we decided to separate that into another episode. So the second episode talks about female genital mutilation. Female genital mutilation is so common that over 200 million women on planet Earth right now are victims of FGM. Initially, I thought FGM was an African problem. But it wasn't. It wasn't. I was reading a book on the vagina in 2020, and the author began to cite examples of FGM in Europe. I'm like, okay, maybe, maybe. Then I start to read about this thing, and there was this long Twitter thread at one other period, and it was about FGM and child marriage in Europe and in other continents. Okay, this is not an African problem. This is a humanity problem. FGM is a kind of sex abuse that has been normalized by culture. Okay, cut off her clitoris, cut off this part of her vulva, stitch this part of her vulva, do this and do that. And it affects this woman's sex life forever. As a sex therapist, I'm trying to find out ways alongside my team and with some other researchers. How do we help victims of FGM experience better sex? But they have still been abused. And what makes their abuse more intense is that we biologically tamper with them. The clitoris houses nerve endings sexual nerve endings, nerve endings that run all the way to your brain. Okay, you already know where your nerves are. They carry messages, right? So if I want to put my hand in your eyes, your nerves can sense that and send message and say, okay, close that eye quickly. Something is about to affect that eye, okay? That's your nerve at work, sending messages back and forth. You have nerve endings in the clitoris that are sending messages, that, okay, this is pleasurable, or this is painful, or this is this, and this is that, and your oxytocin release and all of that. It's because of the information that is going quickly to your brain and returning and saying, oh, okay, stimulate this, stimulate that. It's a good working factory. And then someone decides, oh, this factory is going to work, fine, but we're just going to cut off the messengers. 
So how does your brain know this is going on in your vagina? You really can't enjoy sex because there is no information going back and forth. If that information doesn't go back and forth, your body does not respond back and forth. And so that episode begins to give you understanding of how FGM tampers with your sex life, which is why, again, I'm telling you, go back, listen to last week's episode on FGM coercion and manipulation. What does it mean to coerce someone? What does it mean to manipulate someone? And for a lot of us, here is something I possibly didn't say in the last episode. We are so familiar with manipulation. We call them rules. When it comes to dating, we have 10 reasons why men do this. How to make him give you the ring. How to make her sleep with you. We have all of those really interesting book titles and rules and people buy them, clear them off the shelf. You know why? Because we've all been manipulated for so long that we think we need to manipulate other people to get the results we want. The painful part about manipulation sexually is that we don't know when to stop. Should we even manipulate people? When is the right time to stop manipulating? When is sex just good sex? When is it not manipulated sex? When is it not just I'm twisting someone? Wouldn't you like to have sex with someone who really wants to have sex with you? And so I'm diving into today's topic, incest and parental sexual dysfunction. A few years back after I started practicing, I got a call. There was a drunk mom who was obviously angry, who had locked her kids inside the house and had been feeding them alcohol for days. I was mortified. I had no words. I didn't know any organization to call who were particularly working with alcohol addicts at the time or who were working for social service in Nigeria. And so I wasn't sure what to do. I just couldn't wrap my head around a mom getting her kids drunk for days. I couldn't get my head around it. And I thought that would be the craziest thing I would see in my practice until I started to realize the parents didn't even care what happened to their kids in front of the TV. I would get into this conversation, but let me go to incest. Incest is incest. <laughs> when family members have sexual experiences with themselves. So maybe between a brother, a biological brother and sister. Um, some cultures will say between step-siblings are not incest, but they are born by one parent. So yeah, it's still incest, right? Um Incest happens between nuclear family members predominantly. Extended family members in some cultures are mar can marry themselves, but in most cultures, nuclear family members are out of they are out of the boundary. They are out of your sexual boundary. In a world of eight billion people, why is the only person you want to sleep with your biological sister or your biological brother? In a world of eight billion people, why is the only person you want to sleep with your daughter? In a world of eight billion people, why do you want to sleep with your son? Right? Why do you want to sleep with your granddaughter? It just makes absolutely no sense because there are options. Your family members might be really, really smart. And so you're trying to keep the DNA in the family. But like I said, when I was working on the single series, it's not a question of who you want. It's a question of what you want. Because what you want is in a lot of who's, a lot of people on this planet. So intelligence is not the reason why you're sleeping with your family members. Let's, let's crap that flimsy excuse that people make that because their family members are unique in a certain way. There are also other people with that uniqueness. And one of the ways I know there are a lot of people with that kind of uniqueness is the fact that a serial killer ends up killing people who all look alike or who sound alike or who function the same way. That tells you that there are patterns in people that can be discovered. So if a serial killer can identify them, for all the wrong reasons. I don't know why you cannot identify them for sexual reasons. Why would you decide that your family members are the people you want to have sex with? Now, if this sex was happening between consenting adults, as annoying as it would be, we would say, oh, okay, maybe they don't know. 
The problem with incest relationships is that it is usually between one older person who is wiser and one younger person who has not a lot of knowledge. And like I always say, abuse is prevalent. Abuse is always prevalent when power meets ignorance. Abuse is prevalent when power meets ignorance. When one powerful person, power by age, power by education, power by exposure, power by influence, power by money, power by authority, by being an authority figure. When that kind of power meets ignorance, that kind of ignorance can be being a child, the ignorance can be being unexposed, the ignorance can be feeling unsure of yourself, the ignorance can be not knowing what you're worth, the ignorance can be not knowing this person is not permitted to do what they're doing to you right now, the ignorance can be not knowing your body, the ignorance can be not knowing what is permissible within the law or what's permissible within your culture. When power meets ignorance, abuse is prevalent, as far as I'm concerned. And the case we incest right now is that family members begin to take advantage of other family members. Powerful family members begin to take advantage of ignorant family members. So you have uncles who rape their nieces and their nephews you have aunties who tamper with their nephews you have aunties who tamper with their kids uncles family members parents who tamper with their own kids sexually whether it's in fingering them or in having oral sex with them or having anal sex with them or basic intercourse with them you have sexual experiences with them that they do not permit that they do not have enough knowledge to permit and i know as i'm explaining this i'm trying to be as logical as possible so that i don't just irritate you i want you to be educated after this episode is over incest is a sexual abuse but it's sexual abuse that is so irritating we don't want to talk about it yet it's happening around us every single day of the week every single day Kids are getting fondled by their family members, nuclear family members, extended family members that are still so close they feel like nuclear family members. Statistics shows us that over 60% of abuse are perpetrated by members of the same family. Over 60%, that's a whooping crazy number of abuse are perpetrated by members of the same household family and friends, people who have proximity, people who have access. And so I'm asking you right now, if you're a parent listening to me, who has access to your kids? If you're a parent listening to me, I'm asking you, who has access to your kids? I know you think it's just their cousin. It's not a big deal. They all take their bath together. They all live in the same house. It is a big deal because you're exposing your kids to potential sexual violence. It's a problem. Yes, they take their bath together, but at what point do the boys stop taking their bath with the girls? At what point does uncle stop washing her vagina? At what point does auntie stop washing and touching his penis? At what point can your sons go ease themselves without anybody having to help them hold their penis up? At what point can your daughters go to the toilet without someone having to wash their butt for them? It's important because if you don't, you're exposing your kids to potential sexual violence. Your baby knows when you take off their... Pampas is not the word. That's my Nigerian mind not telling me pampas. <laughs> Your kids know when you take it off that, okay, this is fresh air touching me. Your baby girl will open her leg and just be excited that she doesn't have it on anymore, right? You as an adult, you know how free you feel when you take off your clothes. Now you are exposing your kids in their most vulnerable and their most exciting personal state to someone else who is probably not used to that kind of exposure. Yes, it's their uncle. Yes, it's their auntie. Yes, it's their nanny, whatever the title is. As long as they have undue access to your kids, you need to 
to draw boundary lines? When are they not allowed to touch your kids? What hour of the day are they not allowed to be with the kids? What kind of play, what kind of jokes, what kind of do things do they not do with your kids? You need to draw boundary lines. I interviewed someone anonymously in 2018, I believe. 2017, yeah. I interviewed someone anonymously. His anonymous name was Noel. Noel was telling me how he was playing hide and seek with his parents' maid, who was doubling as his nanny. They were playing hide and seek, and the next time he found out she was stuck naked. Your sons are possibly going through that kind of exposure. And I know you want to argue and say, oh, my kids are preserved. My kids don't experience this, blah, blah, blah. My kids are taken care of. They're taken care of by their family members. My family members are not this and they're not that. I agree with you until I look at the statistics and it shows that one in every three girl will be a victim of abuse or has been a victim of abuse or is presently a victim of abuse. One in every three girl, whether sexual, domestic, verbal, one form of abuse or the other. Statistics shows only one in 10 boys will report an abuse and they will likely not get justice for that one report. So there's a possibility that your son is getting touched without his consent right now and he can't even talk to you about it because you don't even believe it's possible. So if they were to raise it, you will be dismissive. You don't even process that it's possible. So you're possibly not even making inquiries right now. Incest is an actual sexual trauma that we don't pay attention to. The worst part of incest is it has unfettered access to the victim. He has lifetime access to the victim. He don't get that. If a total stranger rapes you in a parking lot, the rape happens once and they go and you go home and you are pissed, you are sad, you are in pain. You go for therapy. Over the years, you begin to release the pain and the grief. You get healed and you move on. You don't stay who you used to be before the rape, but you do move on. The problem with incest is that incest is consistent and continuous. It happens on a consistent basis, not just for a short period of time, but for an extended period of time because the abuser has unfettered access to the victim. Power meets ignorance and abuse becomes prevalent. If it's incest by an uncle or an aunt, they will still have to face off with this person in 10, 15, 20 years' time. That person might not be a close family member anymore, but they'll still meet this person at family meetings. They'll still meet this person at family events. This person will die someday, and they'll have to be at the burial for family's sake. This person who hurts them, who traumatized them, who made their life horrible. I was at a virtual conference in the U.S. recently, and people began to talk about their sexual experiences for the first time in forever. I remembered sitting there and thinking... Don't think I want to handle cases like this. I, was, I wasn't necessarily overwhelmed. I was just frustrated at the pain these women went through. One of them was talking about how her father would rape her and she would hide under the bed on some nights when he walks into her room and hopes today is not the day he finds her so he can rape her. Her father, not her stepfather, her biological father. Another person was talking about how her father would put things inside her and just leave her there for her to take out some of those things. She mentioned things like broom. Brooms! I don't want to figure out, I don't want to think, I don't want to imagine what the remaining things are that this man is possibly putting inside of this girl. And if that was the worst of this story, I think it would have been manageable. It wouldn't be good, but it would be manageable. We will move on from it. Except this man uses her as collateral for drugs. That is some crazy layer of trauma upon trauma. Trauma that she's unworthy of leaving. Trauma that she's such an item that she can be used as collateral. Trauma that her father will say to them, you can kill her if I don't pay you on time. Trauma that anybody can touch her. Because while her father leaves her there, her father can rape her and put stuff inside her. What else can the drug guys do to her?
I'm going to try not to jump into next week's topic, which is the um, pimping and sex slavery. I'm going to try not to jump into it. I'm going to go into the second part of today's session, which is parental sexual dysfunction. Parents think or they assume, parents think or assume that their sexual dysfunctions are only visible to themselves. But that's an assumption because your kids imitate you. We have what is called the mirror neurons. Mirror neurons imitate what is seen. That's why your kid sees you walk a certain way and then they begin to walk the same way because they've seen you do it and then they can mirror it, right? And then they can do it themselves. I said I was going to be as calm as possible and not be um, dramatic today. So when parents have very funny habits, like consuming, um, yeah, when they watch explicit sexual content, like pornography, when parents themselves are addicts, sex addicts, maybe they are addicts to porn, they are addicts to masturbation, and most times masturbation tends to go hand in hand with porn. They assume that because it's their life, it doesn't affect their kids. But here's a very good scenario that they don't pay attention to. Your kids live in the same house with you, meaning at one point or the other, they will bump into you. They will bump into your CDs. They will bump into your videotapes. They will bump into you moaning. They will bump into your sex toys. If you are going to have all of those things, it is only saying that you have an exclusive room for those things. I'm not even going, today's not the day where I tell you, oh, don't watch pornography or don't masturbate. Today's not the day for that conversation. I'm not fighting for you right now. I'm fighting for your kids in this particular episode. Today is not the day where I teach you what to do and what not to do for yourself. Today is about your kids because I'm becoming very particular about generational trauma. I'm tired of sitting with people in therapy whose problems are not themselves, but their problems are problems they picked up from their parents. So if you're going to watch pornography and you're going to have all of this explicit sexual content, it is important that you have them away from yourself. Um, you have what some people call the red room, which is an exclusive inner chamber of their bedrooms that nobody has access to. It usually has a hidden door and it's for all things sex, whether they want to do BDSM or all the other shenanigans, it's for them. It's not for the kids. It's not access for your guests, except whatever is going on here, but not for kids. Not for your kids. If you have a sexual dysfunction going on, find a way to get it out of your house. If it is in your house, your kids will bump into it at one point or the other. There is no way you are having sex. And I understand loud moaning. I am all up for it. I am voting yes for it. I am very huge on letting your partner know that they are hitting it right with your body. But I'm against your kids getting access to that information because sex is biological. And even if you don't teach kids about sex, their body will demand it. Their biology will demand it. A time will come in their life where they begin to become honey by themselves. They will begin to experience being turned on for absolutely no reason, not because they saw anything sexual. Their body will begin to demand sex. If you expose them to sex before the time when their body is the one demanding it, what you would just simply stay up is curiosity. And then they have to go and look for that information outside. So you're moaning and your kids go to class and they're imitating your moan and their teacher is wondering where did that come from? Or you're very sexual and very sexy in front of your kids and you dress up in your sexy attire that it's supposed to be for your bedroom. Maybe you play costume with your partner and then you leave those costumes in front of your kids or you dress up in those costumes in front of your kids. And then your kids have a sexual demeanor and a sexual language and a sexual body pattern and they take it outside. 
The problem with them taking it outside is that a predator sees them and begins to see them speak sexual language because sexual language is a body language. The same way I can speak a body language that is powerful. I can walk into a boardroom and everybody knows, oh, Lisa is here to do the deed. Lisa is here to make a crazy presentation. I can walk into a room, tying rapper, and be super sexy in my body language. And a person, a man who is into me will look at that and say, oh, oh, she's turned on. That's why you can tell someone no. And they say your body said yes, because your body has a language. So you're making all of those sexual body language and you're mooning in front of your kids or you have your dress costumes, your sex costumes in front of your kids. And now they take that body language, that verbal language. Some of you come out and you say a lot of crazy sexual things in front of your kids and your kids go out swearing sexually. People who are naturally predators, people who should naturally not even look at them sexually, begin to look at them and think, hmm, this child is sexually ripe or this child is sexually educated, but they are not. They really are not. I'm going to share two stories here. I was traveling one time interstate within Nigeria and um, this beggar, this Fulani looking, either Fulani or Niger looking beggar, she has curly hair, very beautiful young girl, came up to me um, inside the bus and she was asking me for money. Usually I would give them money, but I began to notice that beggary was an industry. And so I was extra careful about who I give money and on what basis I'm giving them money or giving them whatever it is that they're asking for. So this young girl comes up to me and then um, she starts to ask me for money. She was standing by the window and I didn't respond to her. All of a sudden, I remembered I picked up my phone and I typed in my notepad about her sexual body language. All of a sudden, she starts to wink. And it wasn't just regular winking. She was winking and she was moving her shoulders and she was acting all soft. If I was a man, her body language was saying, touch me. Like she was really strong sexual language. It was really, really strong for a girl of that age. That girl couldn't have been more than nine at the time. Her sexual language was so strong that it wasn't something I would even speak to a man I'm not sexually interested in. It was sexual body language. I would speak to a man that I don't just like, but a man I want to get down with. And I don't mean get down with next week. I mean a man I want to get down with right now. And she was giving me that much vibe. Excuse me, I'm a sex therapist. I'm a sex coach. I know sexual body language when I see it. It wasn't an assumption. This girl was all, she was, I was shocked. And I started to ask myself, who taught this girl to be sexual in order to get the things she needs who taught this girl to be so sexually manipulative because that was what she was using it for she was trying to manipulate me into feeling present with her because i had already dismissed her if she was an older person i would have possibly said oh maybe she's a sex worker and she was just trying to negotiate with me but I knew she was a young girl and I knew she didn't understand the implication of what she was doing. Yes, she might be sexually active, but she was not wise enough to know the full ramification of her body language and what it was saying. But I knew also that she learned it somewhere. Someone showed it to her and she used it somewhere and it worked. And that's why she's doing it again. I was looking at this young girl. I couldn't get it out of my head that this 9, 10, 12 year old was manifesting a sexual dysfunction that did not come from her. We think sex abuse only happens when someone gets raped. No. The problem with that girl being exposed to more sexual information than she needs is that at night, let me not say in the morning, at night when every other person is out of the bus park, when she's hungry and she's begging a man who possibly is predatory in nature, 
she begins to give off all of that vibe and he will take advantage of it. He will not say, oh, because she's a child, because this person might be a pedophile. We don't know yet. We don't know yet. She is going to be exposed to people who can take advantage of her. That's a problem. The second story was during my national youth service. I had met this older guy who was dating a younger girl. And we're talking about this girl. And I remember trying to say to him, but you know, this girl is young. Not like she was, she wasn't 13. I think she was about 16 thereabout. I said, this girl is young. You have a younger sister at home. You wouldn't want this, your younger sister to be in the same position where she's sleeping with an older guy and blah, blah, blah. Especially knowing that she's in secondary school. I can't remember if she was in senior secondary school or junior secondary school. And I remembered the way he articulated his sex with this girl. And he began to talk about her sexual prowess. In that moment, I knew I was negotiating for a young girl who has been exposed to more sex than she should be exposed to. And I know someone will argue and say, well, she was adventurous and she started having sex early. That is true. But the question is, where did the adventure start from? And this brings me to the conclusion of today's episode. What are your kids watching? I asked you before, who have access? Who are the people who have access to your kids? And now I'm asking you again, what are your kids watching? Some of you have the nerve to sit with your five, seven-year-old and you watch Big Brother Nigeria, Big Brother Africa with them, knowing fully well that these shows are rated 18, that people are kissing and necking and fingering whatever themselves right on set. Now, they might not finger themselves on set, but we know that happens. We know that they have sex. Your kids are watching Netflix movies that are rated 16. You and I know that when Netflix raised a movie 16, that movie is originally 18 and beyond. I said to my family members, when you're watching movies on M-Zone, um, is it Mnet, Mnet Movie Zone? And um, yeah, all of the Mnets. I tell my siblings, I said, if it is rated 16, that movie is 18 and above. It, if it is rated 18, it's 21. If the movie is rated 18, it is 21. That's how intense the sex scenes are. I have seen movies, literal movies, where you could see the penis entering inside the vagina. And I'm thinking to myself, I might as well be watching porn. I might as well sit down and know that I'm watching porn. You watch those kind of movies. You allow your kids to select those kind of movies on your TV. You pay for subscriptions for those kind of movies. You allow your kids to have access to your porn stack. And you claim you don't know they have access to it. But it's in a public place where they can't touch it. Where your kids' height can reach it. Your sex toys and places where your children can see them. Your preteen can come home and have access to your sex toy. And your whatever your sexual collection is, it's becoming a dysfunction. I'm sorry to announce to you. You are sexually traumatizing those kids because they're going to be more sexually open than their age demands. They're going to have a sexual response that is beyond their age and they are going to be more susceptible to predators and they are going to be faster to explore sex. And exploring sex early is not the problem. Exploring sex early without education is a huge problem. If you want to get married at 16, 18, I am all up for it. It's your decision to do that. But you must do that with education. If you're having sex at 16, you must do that with education. You cannot be letting your kids get exposed to sex because of your own dysfunctions, because of the trauma you've not healed from, because of the abuse you've not healed from. And this is my challenge to you. Your sex life presently, where did you get it? Was it a result of your growth and you wanting to share your body with someone you really adore and admire and you want to be with someone you want to touch and experience? Or is this something you do to feel better about yourself? Because if sex is something you do to feel better about yourself, you will do it at an alarming and addictive rate and you will do it at the expense of 
any and everybody, including your kids. How healed are you? How healed are you? This episode, I'm going to make sure the team adds it to avoiding parental trauma because this is important for parents. I hope this has helped you. If you have any questions whatsoever, all you need to do is go to www.lizaexpress.com, www.lizaexpress.com. We will begin to answer anonymous questions on YouTube going forward. In order for you to know when we've answered your question on YouTube, simply follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Lisa Express Wellness. Lisa Express Wellness at Lisa Express W. If you are in the city of Abuja, Lisa Express, in collaboration with Audacity Nation, a Christian community, is hosting a major conference in the city of Abuja where therapy meets up with the Bible. If this is something that interests you, by all means, please check the link in the description of this podcast and you'll be able to go to audacitynation.com forward slash conference to get the detail. Audacity is A-W-E-D-A-C-I-T-Y, audacitynation.com forward slash conference. See you next week.